I hope you have your uh, folders which you'd take out the spiritual warfare counseling to confront or not to confront. While you're finding that, I want to just say a word about um, how God works. Um, I have a letter here from a girl from Liberia whose name is Linda. Let me read it to you. I think it'll bless your heart. I've been serving in Liberia as a short-term missionary with SIM for the past year. I'd like to take a few minutes of your time to thank you for ministering to me through the teaching of your books. And uh, she relates to my writing and how they helped her. While a student at Moody in Chicago, one of my instructors was Dr. Dickerson. I went to him for counseling because I had been experiencing some spiritual oppression and what freedom I experienced as we prayed together and claimed our authority over Satan. By the way, this came uh, yesterday, I think it was, right while the conference was in session, so I felt it wise to, to use it. As a result, I was delivered from the oppression, but for another six months, I continued to struggle. Dr. Dickerson referred me to you because I lived close to Sioux City. But I did not follow through on his recommendation. Instead, I began working with Youth for Christ in South Dakota and in desperation returned to see Dr. Dickerson in Chicago. For another month, I continued to battle against the demon of lust. Then I remembered that my pastor in Orange City had recommended... Where are you, Larry and Barb? Would you stand? I want you to see, these are lay people who are part of this church. We haven't quite forgiven them yet for moving away. But they learned about warfare. And um, I remembered that my pastor in Orange City had recommended Larry and Barb Jones. A few days before I was to leave Orange City, I went to them and finally found complete freedom. I continue to struggle with fleshly desires and temptations, but I've learned that Satan tries to tempt us in the areas we are weakest. I continue to use the principles that I've learned about spiritual warfare praying. I've also reached out to others who are facing some of the battles that I faced. Again, thank you for your help. And I've never met the girl. But you see... Uh, God begins to multiply the effectiveness as we are faithful. And I think that is a good introduction to the notes that you have before you. And I'm going to move through these rather rapidly because I took much time to just talk about the center this morning. But I think this is a very important subject for us. Uh, whether to confront or not to confront. I remember when the Lord first led me into this, uh, I was too ready to confront. If I knew people had demonic difficulties, I was prone to rush into trying to help them get free with confrontation. 
I remember one of the first ladies that Anita and I worked with, uh, she came to our house for um, sessions scheduled for an hour, but often stretching into two and three hours uh, every other week for several months. And although some wonderful victories came, it seemed like um, it was robbing me of so much of my time as a pastor. And pastors have to keep biblical balance in their ministries. And so I knew God was saying something to me, and uh, with her compliance, uh, we just backed off from those confrontation sessions, and I began to just put all of the emphasis upon her learning how uh, to fight her own battle and how to get free. And it wasn't too long after we ceased that that the Lord called me away from that church and uh, she continued to apply her own victory until she came to freedom. Since I have written my books, I've kind of had a covenant with the Lord that uh, I would not encourage anybody to come who called me, and almost all of them who call want to get on the next plane and be here. But being a pastor, that's utterly impossible for me. But I did agree with God that I would always try to take time to minister to people on the phone and encourage them. One of the calls that came was from a boy in Northern California, a young man who had been into the occult. Uh, he came out of the occult and got into the New Age movement. He came out of the New Age movement and got into a very um, experience-centered, charismatic movement. And he was a mess. Um, he lost his wife, who stayed a part of that New Age movement. She divorced him. Uh, he was a very troubled uh, young man. He desperately wanted to come and see me. And I had to stay to my principal and said I could not do that. But I said, I'll do all I can to encourage you by phone. And he started to read my books and study them. And then he would call me and talk with me how he was succeeding. And this would go on for about every two weeks for, I suppose, a year and a half. And uh, toward the end of his calls, uh, he would say, Pastor Buick, it's working. I'm getting free. And... Uh, the last time he called me, it's been many months ago now, uh, he said to me, I'm almost free. I'm almost free. And I could tell of the tremendous change in his life that had come to him. And I know enough about myself as well as talking with other counselors to know that we have struggled with a lot of uncertainties about confrontation. Uh, and that 
doesn't cease usually. We go on with questions and struggles that we have about it. And we hear of people like were mentioned yesterday who never have confrontation sessions directly against demonic powers. Truth encounters, I believe Neil and Anderson calls them. And apparently are experiencing unusual uh, freedom uh, coming to people who are deeply troubled. So none of us claim to have the final word on this whole matter. Others of us who've uh, had confrontation sessions for many years have learned much and grown through the experiences and feel that God has given us great liberty to do that. But I think it's always appropriate to question what we're doing and to look at what we're doing through biblical seeing, the spiritual eyes that the Holy Spirit gives us through his word. And uh, I've just written down some things that are in your notes which you can meditate on and add to, but I hope that they'll be helpful. Confrontation should never be regarded as a quick cure-all solution to demonic control. I hope we all recognize that, that we need to be careful and properly prepare counselees. And I'm sure that most of us have some horror stories of having rushed to confrontation too quickly. My first experience along that line uh, was not too long after I had gotten into spiritual warfare when uh, some parents in the church that I pastored called me about their daughter, a high school girl. And they said, Pastor, and they gave her name, is in serious trouble. We don't know what's happening. She needs to talk to you. And uh, they wanted it right then, and it was such that I could work it into my schedule, so they brought her to my office. And uh, she was desperate. This girl, she couldn't look at me. And uh, she was twitching. And uh, so obviously under deep clouds of depression, as she sat there in my office with her parents, and, and I just started to pray. And I prayed warfare prayer over her, just holding the name of the Lord Jesus Christ over her and forbidding any powers of darkness to trouble her. And while I was praying, she became the most radiant person that I had always known her to be. And when I finished praying, she was just ecstatic. She didn't know what had happened, but she knew something had happened. And she thought it was all over. But I had enough experience even back then to know that wasn't true. And, but they left my office that day just so excited. But I tried to share with them that it was going to be a longer battle and my first book was out then and so I suggested she read it carefully in her parents. But uh, it was later that week when again 
I got a desperate call from the father first, and he had no sooner gotten off the phone than the mother called. The father was at work, and the mother said, you've got to come, Pastor. And I went to the house. The girl was in bed. She took me into the girl's bedroom, and the girl was just kind of flopping around on the bed. And I started to pray for her, and, and there were guttural sounds and groanings. And, and so without proper preparation of her or the family, instead of just binding them and commanding them to relieve her, I went after them. And the more I went after them, the more violent the manifestations became. And it frightened the mother. And so I did bind them all aside, and, and we set up an appointment for that evening. But uh, by that 30-minute or so confrontation, where these violent powers that were troubling her just threw her all over the bed, this mother was terribly frightened. And after I left, they called the psychiatrist, and before evening came, she was in the mental hospital. And she got a psychiatrist who didn't believe in warfare and uh, convinced her parents that just the brief time I'd had with her had done great damage to her. And the parents left the church and uh, the girl was kept in the hospital for months. And I felt very grieved over that. I'm thankful to be able to tell you that when she got out of the hospital, and I was in California then pastoring, and uh, she called me on the phone and apologized for her actions and her parents. And she'd come to know that she had demonic problems. And she was applying her own victory, but she was far away. I couldn't have any ministry with her anymore. But I learned something. I learned that you need to be careful to prepare people, to not rush, lest you frighten and wound. Just let God sovereignly work it out and be careful that we prepare folk. They need to have doctrinal understanding about their own personal authority over darkness. One of the most exciting things to me in spiritual warfare is teaching somebody terribly troubled with demons how to resist and stop it themselves. That's an exciting thing. When they learn they're in charge, Demons aren't in charge. They have authority in the Lord Jesus. They need to understand doctrinal praying and um, to take back ground and ancestral ground. We don't have time to go into these things, but most of you already know about it. Expectation of quick fix solution to the counselee's pain should be replaced by an assured hope of eventual freedom from all demonic rule. I can't stress that too strongly. 
Sometimes God gives quick fixes, and those are precious times. But I've found that usually, for the good of the counselee, God doesn't work that way. He uses that experience to teach, teach warfare, teach uh, uh, the importance of doctrinal praying and scripture memorization. And even when spiritual warfare is mandated, like I told about the lady who came into my office and, and how another pastor shared this same experience, that just while this lady was talking to me, not about spiritual warfare, about marital counseling, all of a sudden I saw she was getting into trouble. And I just paused and prayed. She'd never had any experience in warfare. And I very careful how I prayed. And she was freed up, but then she started to tell me again about what was going on in her life. And right there in my office, all of a sudden, the demons just threw her on the floor and she was writhing like a serpent. Well, you don't have much choice in cases like that. You have to enter into confrontation and break it. And the Lord uses those times. But what I'm saying is that even if that happens, that teaching the believer how to apply his own warfare victory is absolutely essential. And it's interesting in that case that I just mentioned, horrendous problems of in-depth demonic control, ancestral as well as personal. And we'd get those powers of darkness uh, to full manifestation, and they would admit to us they had to leave and go to the pit. Ron Susek was in with me on some of that, and here were these two so-called experts, and we did everything we knew to do to get those wicked spirits to live, leave, and they wouldn't, even though they admitted they had to go. They just wouldn't go. And finally, it was Ron's suggestion that what we probably ought to do is just ask the Holy Spirit to bring to her mind what was causing them to be able to stay. And uh, so we did that. We prayed that way, and a couple of days later, she called me. And she was weeping, and I thought, oh, no, not again. But she wasn't weeping with defeat. It was weeping of joy. And she told me what happened. She'd been reading Romans 6, and the Holy Spirit showed her how totally Jesus Christ had forgiven her. But she hadn't forgiven herself for her wickedness. And she had some wickedness, of which she'd repented. But deep in her heart, she was condemning herself. And when she suddenly realized how the Lord had forgiven her and how sinful it was not to forgive herself like that, they were gone. They left her. And she's been free ever since. You see, 
she learned tremendous truth about spiritual warfare. Confrontation had a part, but it was something more essential. She learned the truth of God, how to apply it on her own. The victory Christ brings. Prayer support should be garrisoned together prior to a confrontation. My, I can't stress that too much. And the point two there points out the importance of written prayers. I, I just believe in written prayers. I use them all the time. I use my own. <laughs> you know, I think it's tremendous to uh, just write out prayers that are biblical. You clearly think through and then you pray them back to God. And by the way, that B point there, something I learned from a missionary. Prayer supporters praying every hour on the hour on designated days affect remarkable results. I learned that from a missionary who, while she was on the mission field, was feeling terrible oppression, deep oppression. And she didn't know what to do about it. She talked to the other missionaries and they prayed for her, but... Somehow it just seemed like it was like an awful cloud over and she thought sure she was losing her mind and going to have to leave the mission field. And just out of desperation, she decided one day she would fast. And every hour on the hour, she wrote out a little prayer, just renouncing any hold Satan had on her and yielding herself up to God, just like we're told in Peter and James. And uh, she would pray that every hour on the hour. She did that for about three weeks. One day a week. At the end of the three weeks, she was as bright as she'd ever been. And uh, she, her mother was in a mental hospital back here in the States. And she thought, well, if it works for me, I'm going to try it for mom. And she started to do that for her mother. And every week, she would have her day of fasting and prayer, and every hour on the hour, she would pray. And it wasn't but a short time that her mother was out of the hospital, a well lady, because of an intercessor who pulled down the powers of darkness ruling over her mother from the other side of the world. Marvelous what prayer can do. And we need to have time in counseling to marshal that, to pull it together about that person, as well as about our own ministries. Expectations should be encouraged and fostered that the counselee can get free of demonic control without confrontation sessions. You must learn it quickly. The biblical support for such expectation is extensive. And I'm not going to go through that. You can read it in the notes. The practical guidance for applying one's victory on his own is increasingly available. 
There's so many that testify to freedom. It's been exciting to me, as a result of the writing of my books, to get so many calls from all over the world and to hear the number of people who tell me that just using the principles of spiritual warfare faithfully, they've come to freedom. I suppose most of you have noticed there's quite a difference along this line between my first book and my second. And one of the reasons I stress this personal gaining of freedom so strongly in the second book is because of some experience as well as growing understanding of biblical truth. Ernie Rockstead has an important paper, Taking Control of Indwelling Demons, which many have found wonderfully helpful in getting freedom. Uh, Jim, of course, has his notebook, was just full of valuable material, gathered from all of you, many of you, and uh, much of the book writing that uh, he shares with people he counsels. So consistent personal encouragement and consultation with an experienced counselor should be maintained during the individual's application of his freedom. And then I think even when a person's working toward freedom himself, that if he can have periodic times with someone who helps him in confrontation, it can be a wonderful a thrust forward, an encouragement, breakthroughs. Personally, I believe that's much the more valuable way to do it than to uh, just have long work sessions where you try to battle through. I know many of you have had other experience, and I'm not saying that's wrong, but I personally lean toward the longer period of periodic uh, counsel where the counselee is learning to apply his own victory on a consistent day-by-day basis. And yet it's so helpful for that counselee to know that he's not alone, to know that if he gets stuck, there's somebody there who will say, okay, let's, let's see what's happening here. And they'll go into a confrontation. It's part of the ministry of the body. And you'll notice the D says applying one's own victory has desirable benefits to all concerned. First of all, it removes that onus that experts in spiritual warfare can help people, can only help people get free. Now, most of us are uncomfortable with being looked at as experts. I'm no expert. I'm a learner. And I'm glad to share what I learn with others. But I get stuck, and I haven't met anyone yet who doesn't get stuck. And so, we don't want that onus. We want believers to understand their own authority. And the believer who learns how to apply his victory will be more ready for the steady war. It's wonderful to see somebody just steadily applying his victory. And the counselor's not overburdened with warfare battles. That's one of the great dangers of pastors getting involved in this, and some of you have talked to me about it. 
Pastor Bubeck, how have you kept your your ministry so you haven't gotten shifted off into an imbalanced tangent? Well, I'm sharing some of how that's come to me. God gives me all the time I need, but He never gives any of us more time than we need. And so we just need to learn to keep balance. You can hurt your church, you can hurt yourself and your ministry if you get out of balance. And all your people begin to think, pastor's just using all his time in this warfare business. That's not good. We better come back to balance and carefulness. Training others, helping them get established. Then more troops are added to the body who know their authority in Christ. That's why I shared this letter. Have Larry and Barb stand. And they're doing a wonderful job helping people up in the area where they live now. If the believer does not learn the basics of applying his own victory, it's probable that he will be back in trouble before very long. If you haven't learned that, you better learn it quickly. A readiness to help those unable to apply their own victory must be carefully maintained. Some believers are unable to fight their battle. That lady I talked about who was thrown on the floor to tell her to fight her own battle would have been the height of insult. They would take over so violently she couldn't do anything about it. And sometimes God will send to you people who mentally and emotionally don't have capacities to fight on their own. And yet it's obvious they're troubled by demons. I can think of several in my experience along that line. Their knowledge of God's word and doctrinal truth is too immature sometimes for people. They're just babes in Christ. And we have to be there to help. Believers who have learned to live in painful defeat often just resign themselves to defeat. And they can't get free on their own. So we do need to have confrontation. It's very much a part of body truth, as B points out. And just because people criticize us doesn't mean we ought to back off. And I put down some of the criticisms that I've heard. You're talking to spirits and engaging in a form of witchcraft. You ever heard that one? That that comes sometimes. You can't find any place in the New Testament where believers are told to confront demons and other believers. You're getting into mystical extremism. You're blaming everything on the devil. You may do more harm to this person's psychological makeup than he's presently suffering. And on and on it goes. Believers are encouraged to take a bold stand, fearlessly to confront. That's very biblical. Confrontation against the powers controlling demonized people has valid biblical precedent. The clinical results tell the story, and many of us could, we could have testimonies here for hours of warfare victories to avoid confrontation because of the fear of criticism is in itself giving ground to Satan. We need to know that. 
In the final page, confrontation may seem to accomplish very little in the lives of some. I hope you understand that and are not destroyed by it. There may be other factors causing distressful pain that have nothing to do with demons. We're going to talk about some of that. Multiple segmented personalities may be present. There may be psychological wounding. You get rid of the demons, but the psychological wounding, if it's not ministered to, the person will just be as miserable as when they had demons. Chemical imbalances, neurological diseases. God's sovereign design for that believer may preclude a total freedom for a period of time. You know, God is so sovereign. I want to read to you the devotional out of the daily bread for today. I've been having so much of this kind of thing lately, it just baffles me. Do you know what the scripture reading for today is? 1 Corinthians 12, or 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. Let me read it. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. And uh, I'll tell a secret. I had asked uh, Fred Dickinson to read this, and he started to cry when he read it. And I think all of us had tears. Let me read it. Edwin Young of Houston, Texas, tells of a man who wanted to buy a Rolls-Royce automobile. After several years, he contacted the dealership to determine some pertinent facts about the particular model that he wanted. He learned the price and proceeded with some thorough questions about his Royals Royce. Only one remained unanswered. What is the horsepower of this particular engine? The salesman could not find the information in any of the brochures. Finally, the sales manager cabled the company in England with the inquiry. The answer came back, just one word, adequate. Adequate. The apostle's thorn in the flesh became the divinely appointed wedge to open his life to the adequacy of God's grace. Though Paul tried, as we do, to get released from the buffeting, he was to experience something far greater than freedom from infirmity. Grace. No matter the need, the trial, the weakness, God's grace is enough Ample, 
plenty adequate. The stained pages of yesterday, the bewildering trials of today, the uncertain road for tomorrow, for all of these and more, his grace is adequate. When the infinite God and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom is given all power in heaven and on earth, promises, my grace is sufficient for you, you can bank on it. Enough is enough. His grace is sufficient. No one can exhaust it. Be strong in that grace, abundant and true. Draw largely, continually out of his fullness. His grace shall be always sufficient for you. I'm going to close with that. When I left the pastorate in Oak Park, Illinois, there was a couple from another church that came to my to our farewell. And um, they brought us a nice little uh, desk, um, pencil, uh, pen holder, beautiful words on it. They gave it to us. And they waited until nearly everybody else had left. And the couple came up and uh, with tears they hugged me. And they said, Pastor Bubeck, I'd helped them several times in confrontation. And they said to me, we've been Christians for years. And we know we're not quite free yet. But we've learned more about what it means to be a Christian in the last year and a half as we've been battling the enemy than we ever knew before. That's wonderful. God's timing is always right. His grace is always adequate. And uh, the freedom comes when he knows it's time. Father in heaven, there's so much more could be said about confrontation. And we thank you for these dear people gathered, many of whom have had much experience, many of them more experienced than I've had in confrontation sessions. And thank you for their willingness to do that. Thank you for the body ministering to the body to heal. We just rejoice that the grace is enough the Savior's timing is perfect, and we submit to him through Jesus Christ. Amen.